following episode of Humble and Fred is brought to you by GigSky, the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, Bodog, Health Gauge, Canna Cabana, Doer, and our newest sponsor, GoDaddy. Hello, I'm Toronto Mike, producer of Humble and Fred. One of the most highly sought guests for my podcast, Toronto Mike, is Chris Shepard. Who doesn't have fond memories of listening to Chris Shepard on 102.1 late into the night? Or maybe even on Energy 108? He's been very elusive, but in 2014, he appeared on Humble and Fred. And to my knowledge, it's his last public appearance. Let's listen. But even beyond that, Fred Patterson, a part of that legendary radio station, CFNY. Oh, yeah, from 1979. A lot of great people came through those doors, Howard. And as I mentioned to our good friend Don Burns last week, when I came here to start working with you, I had no perspective on the radio station. 25 years later, you know, the radio station has sort of come alive for me, and, and like a lot of people, it did in the 80s. And one of the mainstays of that building, and you're, you go way back with this guy, is a gentleman that sort of pioneered a style of DJing and a style of entertainment. It is a rare radio appearance and a real pleasure to welcome Chris Shepard. Hey, thank you. Chef! Oh, so, so sweet. You How'd you like that, huh? Oh, humble. That was just beautiful. Nice to see you guys. It's been a while, man. Well, it's great to see you. And again, since we've started doing this show, your name comes up all the time and people suggest that Chris Shepard would be a great guest and tracking you down wasn't the easiest thing, but... When we finally made contact, you were so gracious and so accepting, and here you are. Yeah, you actually caught me in the West End City of Love, and, and that was what was perfect about it. And it was, it was, I was like completely in REM sleep, and then I hear Freddie P on the phone. It was, <laughs> it was so surreal. I had this conversation, and I could, was honestly in REM sleep during the whole process. But it's it's great to be here. Yeah, I don't do radio very often. I don't don't do very much in Canada, really. You know, I I. Uh, do a few lectures at the odd university. I um, have have some fun and had a hot taxi cab ride over here. You know, as you can tell. We were all trying to figure out, and I, and I couldn't tell you the last time I saw you in person. We left uh, Kennedy Road. We all moved downtown when the radio station, you know, transitioned to the edge in nineteen. I think the May of nineteen ninety five seems to m- make sense to me. I, I don't for think what I, what date for when we moved downtown? Oh yes, it was. No, it was ninety six. Okay, yeah. I, when did you leave CFNY? When did you leave the edge? As soon as the corporate idiots got in there with the, you know, they they just ruined it. We had such a beautiful thing, a connection with the people. My object always through life is never underestimate the intelligence of the audience and uh consultants come in and corporate guys come in. So what year they, was that? I have no concept of time. I live okay. in the moment. I really do. I live in I live in the present moment. It's the only place to be. 
Sounds strange to you. No, 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 it doesn't. And you know what I, you know what I admire about that. And maybe you know you were in the position to do it when people of principle. I mean, you were a big star on that radio station. Not that we, you weren't when you left, but it was a great platform for you to do what you did. Um, on principle, to just walk away from it—that's pretty noble. Yeah, I, I, I've done that like really my entire life. Like, people, people view me of like you just played that commercial song there from Love Inc. So there's a group of people that view me as that portion of life and then there's some people that view me as punk rock and then there's some people that view me at the early stages of electronic music and then the birth of rave culture and then i got involved in neuroscience about i think close to 20 years now 19 years Mm -hmm. and then uh that really took my interest and i really started to focus on that and i still participate in music i still actively keep involved in music i uh get fresh vinyl all the time and it comes out of the uk juno.co.uk is a plug for fantastic vinyl and then fedex deliver it right to my door wherever i am and so i keep up on music and then i participate more behind the scenes these days well it's interesting what you say about it's human nature for people to have a snapshot of a time and they of course you know whether it's us or you they remember what they were doing and it it has a nostalgic it feels good to them to remember chris shepherd doing live to airs or they remember chris shepherd in love inc or they remember chris shepherd whatever chris shepherd they remember and that's just natural of course they want to connect with you yeah but when we had don uh, burns in here last week one of the things he said is you know hey chris is doing this he's uh, looking to do his doctorate yeah, in, I have in, already in your, a few of those, actually. Do you really? Yeah, what is, yeah, do you, have, you have a PhD in what? In, uh, in uh, street knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. We have a PhD in nonsense. Which yeah, is handy. It, yeah. it comes mm-hmm. in handy. Doctors sure. of nonsense. The often imitated, never duplicated one. As I said, I got into neuroscience, right? The universe we mold around us, you know, it's a kind of multidimensional spectacle of reality that uh, sort of resonates around us, if you will. So I get into all kinds of craziness and and some people enjoy listening to it. I do a lot of uh, lectures at McGill University. What would a typical uh, Chris Shepard lecture well, be like? Give us. I, mean, I, I know you've got some notes, and I'm curious to see mm-hmm. where life is taking you and what 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 thinks you're thinking, Doctor well, well, Zeus. Well, 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 what happens is is that people are really messed up right now. They're all suffering from some sort of stress disorder. And, you know, it's coming out in uh, gastrointestinal disorders or it's coming out in migraines or women with PMS or back pain or carpal tunnel. And the list goes on and on. And it's becoming more and more and more and more and more of an epidemic. And, and it really started in the late 1800s. If you go back and research like early Freud, I know avoid Freud in the 80s and all that, but Freud was on to a few cool things. And then there was Charcot, Brewer a uh, great Canadian doctor by the name of Alan Waters. And these guys all started to notice that there was this epidemic coming. And modern medicine missed the boat on that. And what they did was, because the advent of the laboratory in medicine in Western hospitals, so they went blood test, urine sample, which can't detect any of this. Mm-hmm. And it's all related to the brain, really. Is, you know, we knock ourselves out of balance just by thought alone. You know, we turn on the stress response, which turns on the fight or flight mechanisms, which is the... Uh, you know, it's, basal it's funny you said that. I've been doing some reading recently about cortisol and, and the connection yeah. between lack of sleep and obesity and how not giving your body a chance to regenerate and rejuvenate gives your cortisol levels. They go, go to whack. And so it signals something about the way we eat. 
Mm-hmm. You know, what we, who did we talk to recently? They were saying it's the fight or flight stress hormone mm-hmm. that yeah. triggers the need to to put on weight to protect ourselves. And Chris, is that why at the beginning of there you said you live in the moment, like the whole Eckhart Tolle? Uh, now is what matters. Nothing else does. Yeah, and th- to relieve stress, don't worry about what's ahead or what's what's yeah, going on. I, I mean, I, I appreciate Tall some of his work. I, you know, I've read his mm-hmm. books, and and I appreciate how he lives in the moment. And he suffered a lot, and that's how he came up with that concept originally. And I really love his pain body theory. If you're not familiar with the pain body theory, it's a I'll let you look into it yourself mm-hmm. but, but your point is that back aches and gastrointestinal yeah, disorders yeah. there's a neuroling there's a neuro something uh, we become addicted to the rush of stress so when we don't have that rush that chemical rush the fight or flight that howard's talking about it's amygdala basal ganglia it has a little small reservoir where it can hold this rage and what happens is is stress somebody cuts you off on the road somebody you know, whatever, whatever your problem is. Yeah. <laughs> and then the reservoir gets filled up. And then mm-hmm. what the brain does, it should release it, but instead it sends it to the site of a previous or a perceived injury. Oh, wow. And that's the problem. It doesn't let it out. And then so what happens is somebody has a, uh, lifts the cardboard box off the floor and goes, oh, I can't move anymore. And so they go to a doctor, they get an MRI, and they say, ah, oh, L1 and L2 are touching. We see a bulging disc here. That's got to be the problem, and that's not the problem at all. So how do you, if that's the result or the, is that's where the problem went to, how do you treat the problem? How do you treat the, the cause, not the effect? Well, that's, the, that's a million-dollar question. I let's really get think a, it's, hey, it's... let's a, get after that. Okay. Okay. It's, I think it's... A, I thought you were going to a commercial. I'm not no, no. We have no commercials. Have no commercials. You know, it's funny. I've, I've been saying, uh, Amanda Barker is our summertime Amanda. producer. Thank She's you. a wonderful person. She's so thrilled that you're here. Uh-huh. In I'm fact, so when excited. you said often imitated, she was... I yelped. She mm-hmm. yelped because uh-huh. it's such a touch point for her, the Chris Shepard of the 80s. Yeah. Um, I was telling uh, Amanda, who teaches yoga, mm. uh. and I've been going to yoga, uh. that there I was prior to a yoga practice recently and I was trying to relax and some people usually are pretty quiet, right? Yeah, should be, yeah. Should be. And people are breathing and stretching Mm. and this gentleman started to do this. (sighs) Yeah, I know those. And I I was like, oh, shut up. (laughs) Wait. (laughs) I was like, no, yeah. You started Mm -hmm. making these noises. Yeah. And there I am trying to relax. And I realized after about 30 seconds, I'm getting ready to practice yoga and I've got yoga fucking rage. (laughs) Super. Only Uh I, only I could find a way to get, to Mm -hmm. actually get aggravated doing something that was supposed to lessen. Well, that's because it's an unconscious process because I'm a little skeptical about yoga. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little clandestine. I think stretching is very healthy. Breathing, all those exercises are wonderful. But yoga means to yoke with God, and it's uh, based in the Hindu religion. So there's a lot of clandestine little sneaky things, little supernatural things that are attached to that. Wow. And I get a little bit upset that it gets marketed as like, oh, yeah, just come and stretch. Yeah, I more than that. Well, you know, I've only been doing it for a few months. I'll tell you one thing, and I do the hot yoga. I was saying to Amanda, one day I looked down and I was sweating from my shins. So I thought, mm-hmm. well, that can't be right. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it worked out. Let, let's just be clear here. What, what degrees do you have? And you lecture in universities. Are you like a, a professor? Are you like... Um... I don't have any professor gig. I, I actually got offered a professor gig, and then the fellow just recently took off to Miami, so I mm-hmm. kind of lost that one. No, I just do guest spots here and there. And 
just enjoy the research and work with a group of people studying neuroscience, you know? So what is your job? What do you do for a living right now? Uh, I, I still party for a living, yeah. That's I wish I could. Yeah, cool. we're doing this for a living. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's cool. It's yeah. cool. It's great. I love radio. Well, it's, let's talk a little bit about uh, the Chris Shepard that's not doing, <clears throat> excuse me, neuroscience, but is partying for a living. You know, when we think about some of these big DJs, you know, Daft Punk and Dead. Dead Mal Five. Dead Mal Five. Alvin Harris, <clears throat> Testo, Armin Van Helden. D- and you, you, you knew some of these people back in the early yeah, days. You were the, you were sort of the originator of this. Yeah. Certainly in Toronto. Yeah. They all annoy me. <laughs> I, I can't stand <laughs> DJs. Really. When people come up to me and tell me they're a DJ, I'm usually headed the other way instantly. You know. I mean, there's too many DJs. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fact. But I love the fact that electronic music and that culture has opened up because it's so positive. It's an energetic love experience. And, and I'm happy to see the younger generation are into that. Mm-hmm. But do you look at that and think, you know, is that something that you were in and then you got out of? or not? Yeah, I was. Absolutely. I was the first one to do it. October 23rd, 1988, I did the first rave you know, in North America. I was over with New Order in Manchester. They owned the Hacienda, and it was the birthplace of it. And I saw what was happening, and a group of us came to New York City, and we said, oh, we got to bring this to North America. We're the North American guys. Okay, I live in Toronto. Okay, let's uh, let's do this. And it started from there, and it's taken a long time to get where it is. What were you doing before CFNY? Were you involved somehow in that's how, how you became part of the CFNY family? or I was a street kid, really. I started out as a street kid and then got involved in club culture at its infancy and started out the very first nightclubs, the very first sort mm-hmm. of superstar DJ, all that kind of stuff. And then... Uh, while I was doing that, we got to give credit to the the great David Marsden. I know. You know, it was David Marsden who came and saw me at one of these gigs that was just, you know, loaded with thousands of people. And, and then he says to me that he's retiring from radio, and he was such a legend at radio at that time. You have to realize he was, like, the biggest guy, and he wants me to take over his show. And I'm like, oh, my God. Just, it was just stumbling as I am this morning <laughs> over my words. It was amazing to go in there. Somebody said, you know what you need to do? You need to smoke hash before you go on the air. Oh, that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you started it, and that's when you began at CFNY, and yeah. you left shortly after, I guess, the format changed uh, around, ni- let's say, around 90, 89, 90, 91. Because yeah, yeah. all I remember is I started in 1989. We worked together briefly. Again, I really wasn't familiar with the culture of the radio station. And then you were gone. And the first kid that ever greeted me at the door, because I, I was, this was when you were on holidays, before we actually started, was Martin Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Martin uh, sort of took over memory. took the mantle from you. Yeah, yeah. I knew Martin as a kid. He was doing the road show. And yeah. Yeah. He, he got in a difficult position at the first start because when I left, it was, there was really nothing... It, that was the only thing. We didn't have a million channels. We didn't have the internet. So everybody was listening to that show. And then Martin, unfortunately, was the guy who got picked and thrown into that position to replace me, which was quite difficult for him for many years. And then uh, then he developed his own personality and, and, be, and made it his own thing and became quite successful. And I, it's weird. I... I I remember a thing, if we go back in history, if you want to talk about history, and I know a lot of your listeners understand the history of that radio station. That when, when I was music director of that station, after Ivor Hamilton, uh, 
they said, Shep, we need you to do the import show. You know all about import records. Just go in and do the import show. And I just didn't even think a second about it. I go and do it. And then I got a call from Ivor, and he goes, Shep, that's my show, you know, the import show. I built it, and I'm like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, I just wasn't thinking. So, like, I'm like, yeah, forget that, right? So the same thing I did with Martin. And I said to him, like, you know, as irrelevant as it is in this moment, I said, you know, that's the name of a show that I created as cheesy as it was, Club 102. Like, just change the name, make it your own, and then you won't get hassled by the people on the street. And he goes, oh, I just do what they tell me to do. Well, I didn't talk to him for years. We were close friends, and we just fell out. And and I, I think it was like two days before his passing where he pops out and sees me in a parking lot and comes up to me. It was just so trippy. And then, wow. uh, yeah, we kind of made amends. And, uh, wow. yeah. Yeah. Well, that's tough because we've often said that we did the morning show and then Dean Blundell took over, and he had a rough time at the beginning for that for very reason. For quite some time, actually. Because, you know, people get, you know what people are like. They get used to uh, the same old, the same old, and then when there's a change, they're not comfortable with it. We think sixty to 70,000 thoughts a day. And believe it or not, 90% of those sixty to 70,000 thoughts a day we think are the same thoughts we thought the day before. <laughs> so it's completely Absolutely. ridiculous. We get stuck in these patterns. And it's funny because, you know, you and I were compared sometimes unfavorably to Pete and Geats. Blundell <laughs> compared unfavorably to us for a long time. And it's what I was saying about the, the people we like to... We don't like change, and we like our people. We like people to stay where they are. And that's why sometimes when you haven't seen somebody in years, you, you almost are sometimes surprised that they've evolved and moved on, and they're not that person you knew back in high school, college, a couple of weeks ago at the picnic. Absolutely. I I picnic. You know, if it's like... <laughs> I never go to picnics this year. <laughs> I'm going to one on Saturday. Uh, are you really? Yeah. Freddie P is a picnic no. guy. No, he's not. <laughs> Freddie, the P in picnic. No, here's the thing. You think that on the surface because of his jocular nature, but in actual fact, you'll be the first one at the picnic to go, I'm getting the fuck out of here. No, but Chris, you know, he knows back in the day, and I've explained this to you guys before, I used to be excited by picnics and things like oh, that. Yeah. By social With gatherings. age, it's gone. A lot of people don't know mm-hmm. the snow removal machine by Freddie P. Legendary. I mean, you know, this, Freddie's a uh, legend. But he's over the years decided to shut the door on social interaction. Yeah. But hey, we all evolve. Maybe you'd like to introduce this song. Oh, yeah. Is this snow removal? Yep. I love it. Yeah. Ian Asbury in the cult, Billy Duffy on guitar, and the vocals of Mr. Fred Patterson. Hit it. <laughs> Is this freaking you out a little bit? Yeah. Longest intro ever. Check this one. <laughs> Looked under my tree. <laughs> and it was there. You know, this might be a good point to interject this. The guy who wrote that song. I know exactly what you're going to say. Darren Wozilek. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, and I was talking, you know, Darren, I was of talking to him on the weekend and he said, you got to ask Shep two questions. Okay. Number one, does he have his license yet? No. You're still not a driver. I don't drive. 
And do you still have plastic on your furniture? He wanted to know. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, they have these Chinese Ming chairs. No, no, no longer plastic on the furniture. Very good question. Because <laughs> he said he was a your. He said, yeah, here, here's this cool DJ, this uh, the coolest uh, guy at CFNY. I go over to his house and there's plastic all over his furniture. They were these rare Chinese Ming uh, chairs with this satin and it was uh, it was uh, yeah <laughs> I had plastic on my furniture you know it's funny because I, I Darren's told me the story of the anguish it took for him when he recorded that song with you yeah and it's funny that that song and whatever take mm-hmm. whatever number of takes that were that mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. that that song is endured it's funny we, wherever we've gone yeah it's one of those things, again, people remember. They go, oh, that song. There was even a text this week at, at, at 1010 about snow removal. No, I know. Yeah, that was like yeah, 1987. It's, it's like 97 degrees Fahrenheit outside today, and still it's a hot <laughs> song, great song to play. Do you, uh, as Fred mentioned a couple minutes ago, you said, you know, how do you make, what do you do, you know, day to day, and you still make your living I partying. still downplay, I downplay all that, you know. I, I just, I, I live my life as a mystery. I've become a mystery. Some people look at me as a cloud, you know. It's, uh, well, there's, is there money being, uh, is there money in being enigmatic? Yeah, I, I live a very <laughs> successful life, you know. I, I, I still live in five-star hotels, sure. Okay, well, because, you know, back when I met you in the beginning of uh, this whole thing, one of the things that impressed me, and, I, and I've always remembered this, is I had this image of you like a lot of people, like, hey, chef's like this party guy, and then one day we were talking, and you mentioned sort of casually, almost offhand, you said, oh, yeah, I've just uh, flipped a house or bought a thing, and I had some investment property. I was like, Wow. <laughs> yeah, this guy's I, a lot smarter than I thought. You were the, one of the first people I'd ever met in my age group that bought property. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you, getting back to you categor, categorizing people, at the time we're 35. By the time we're 35, we've memorized who we are. You know, 90% of who we are, believe it or not. You know, when, well, you know but yeah, we're so powerful to heal ourselves. It's the mind that has composed life. And mind has always existed. Mind brought forth matter, information, etc. And ma- matter has never brought forth mind. And 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 people forget f- simple things like that. And and then they classify you as. It's just going back to what you said earlier. I, they see me as the the, the the knucklehead in the video, or the guy on the TV show. On on some of the, I see some of those clips on YouTube that somebody points out, and I'm like, ah, oh, there's they're missing the whole context of what was going on there. And at the time. There's one clip in particular that drives me nuts. When we did, going back to CFNY, and they put me on the broadcast live on their CH network, which was like a national television show. So they broadcasted my radio show. And then one time they, they, they took over the television portion and put this government propaganda on, but they forgot to take me off the radio. And because we had so many listeners, I said, jam their phone lines, you know, and they just, we just made a mess of their television show. And, and, and when I was a child growing up, I lived with my grandparents and they were always like, you remember that show, Tiny Talent Time? Yeah. yeah. Right. They were like, why aren't you all like one of these kids? Like, you know, <laughs> you're such a mess. You're dying your hair. You're being such a freak. And why aren't you playing a court? and like Jimmy, you know? And, <laughs> and, and then, ironically, it was the Tiny Talent Team production crew that produced this television show. So I go on there, and at the time, this is 1988, a lot, the music culture was acid. So I said on this national television show, 
which again, there was not a, the internet, there was not a million radio stations. Everybody was locked in on this. I said, everybody should take acid. And I had an LSD <laughs> hat on. And I mean, so the next week, like the it was in, filmed in Hamilton, I believe. Right. And the chief of Hamilton Wentworth was there, and everybody. Uh, what do you mean, everybody's? You know, and it was like a lot of pressure. So I was actually surrounded by police. And this is the clip that is on this YouTube thing. Right. Where I'm trying to explain what acid house is, and these people wearing this clothes. So they're kind of missing the context. That's the thing with YouTube. Now, was there any like, fallout? At CFNY because of those comments? Because they uh, were hooked no. into the corporate thing at that time, I think, with Selkirk, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, I did some really crazy things on mm. CFNY. I exercised the ghost of Karen Carpenter one time. <laughs> and and uh, we blew the transmitter. And the engineer, I believe, John, said he saw the lightning bolt come out of the sky at the time. And there was, like, some American rock star was the guest at the moment. And they left, like, really white-faced. And, mm -hmm. I mean... I would like lay on the floor. I would call up at the time of that radio show. I I would I was really associated. Things got confused because it became so popular. But when I went on, I was just like everybody else on the street. And they're like, oh, great. One of us, you know, a guy mm -hmm. like us. So and then because I partied so much at the time, I one day I called up the it's they're no longer really considered extremists now that humble and this yo lovely young lady have joined the cult but mm -hmm. but well, I, the harry krishna temple used to be yeah of course yeah. Be, be considered pretty out there right so i remember calling them up and telling them that i was really messed up and then i would i would call up and then they they changed my name right in the middle of the air they say Chrissy Sheffy, and then I repeated my name, Chrissy Sheffy. And it's just, uh, <laughs> um, our guest this morning is uh, Krishna leader Chrissy Sheffy, <laughs> hanging out with Humble and Fred. Uh, we're going to come back uh, as we take a quick break here. It's Humble and Fred Radio on Sirius XM. Um, let's um, continue our chat this morning on SiriusXM with uh, Chris Shepard in a moment. Uh, of course, we're thrilled. Uh, Theory of a Dead Man earlier. What a great show. What a great spirit in the studio today. And, of course, all brought to you by... That's my 16-year-old calling me. All brought to you by um, Churchill Sellers. We already did that. NewCanadianMusic.ca. Oh, NewCanadianMusic.ca. Spenny, <laughs> yes. I can't talk to you now. I'm on the air with Chris Shepard and Fred, okay? NewCanadianMusic.ca. New songs this week from Tom Cochran, Sloan, Mother, Mother. Yes, the latest chart activity. It's all there. What's going on in Canadian music? The video of the week, the new pornographers, War of the East Coast. Yes, and the Vista Music Prize. You can take part in deciding who receives that prize. All at NewCanadianMusic.ca. 30 albums. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you're going to say something? No, I was going to... No, go ahead with the 30 albums. I mean, the achievements of this man, uh, of Chris Shepard. Well, talking about new Canadian music, he was new Canadian music for many, many years to a lot of different people mm -hmm. around the world. Yeah. Uh, pumping out 30 albums worth of Canadian sessions and under the auspices mm -hmm. of the pirate radio. 
Yeah, I was just saying to him on the break that I, you know, I didn't grow up with CFNY because I lived in New Brunswick, but pirate radio sessions were our anthem. I mean, that was mm-hmm. what we, as soon as they came out, we got them and we, we, we put them in our cars and go to the beach and blast them all summer long and memorize the transitions that he made. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just the song that you knew. Like, I can still play it in my head, though, like... And he'd always come in and, and talk, and so you'd know his voice because he would come in in that first track. Um, and you produced those 30 albums at a time when albums made some money. Yeah, yeah. Mm. They, they sold quite well. I mean, really, I, I mean, they weren't massive because they were quite initially quite underground, so to speak, the, the records were. They started out selling, but then quickly moved to, like, uh, gold status, I think by the time I'd went to BMG, the major record company, I think uh, we got to double platinum, which was the highest. But at mm-hmm. that point, to reach an audience that high, you, you have to start adding like cheeseburger songs. And and my whole idea on that was I was always so underground and so obscure and, and working with like Einstarts and De Neubauten and, and, and so many strange electronic groups, Skinny Puppy, that, that I had this idea that I wanted to infiltrate commercialism and then s- sort of subvert it from the inside, if you will, and try and change culture from within side so that's do you feel that happened for you do you did you feel it at the time Mm -hmm. yeah i really did because we started to reach a a larger audience and we changed things we changed radio which was which was really lockjaw as you know as the young beautiful lady said you know we started to reach all these other provinces Mm -hmm. and people and and they became aware that you know Whatever they were being force-fed was not real. Mm-hmm. Hold that thought. Chris Shepard's with us, and we've got a uh, somebody on the phone. Hi, who's this? Hey, good morning. It's uh, Jason. How are you guys doing? Jason, you have a question for Chris? Yeah, I know. I, Chris, I just want to thank you very, very much. Um, you made my teenage years the best years of my life. Um, oh, thank you for introducing me to fantastic music. Um, RP, nights at RPM, uh, just downtown, the whole culture in Toronto. Uh, for people that are in their, um, sorry, I don't mean to date you, bro, but uh, 40s <laughs> like myself, um, you were a staple in this uh, city, in this country. You changed uh, everything. I got 5% left on my phone. This has been the best guest ever on Humble and Fred. Thank you, Jason. You take yeah. care, buddy. Respect, Thanks, my brother. brother. Respect. Yeah. One Thank love, you. one love. We're all together. We're all together. Uh, this young gentleman uh, sent us a note, a note saying, hey, is it? could I come down and watch when Chris is here? And, you know, that's the great thing about, <laughs> really? the great thing about our interaction with the audience now and and we should tell you we've been doing this a long time and this little venture that we put together ourselves and fred would say the same thing i think that we've never had the connection with people the way we do now even when we're at the height of the humble and fred years yeah because it's real it's real people crave authenticity yeah and yeah go ahead sorry to interrupt no you you. go ahead no i mean uh, that's the difficult thing with radio per se Uh, i mean i know i i ran an independent radio show syndicated show for many years and and it was like number one across like every spectrum every book every demographic everybody was listening to it but you couldn't get the corporate advertisers in to sponsor it they're like well i don't know he says some things that are a little out of control and Mm -hmm. and you know head office might complain or or you know it's just too difficult it's you know it's easier to deal with cliff cohen and and i love cliff cohen so you know i mean nothing wrong with cliff but no it's funny that's a name from our past guy used to sell sales uh, guy what is your name <clears throat> i'm sorry anthony let me get your mic off. anthony yeah it's anthony anthony yeah anthony hi anthony. Uh, how old are you Hello. i'm 26 
26 year old guy and what is your connection to this gentleman here um, I've been listening to Chris, and I've followed Chris's career since I was, like, almost born. Um, if it wasn't for Chris, really, uh, I don't think Canada and the music industry in Canada would not be as um, developed as it is right now. There's there's no way. It's, it's unquestionable, um, especially even the radio industry. A lot of radio stations would not be around right now if it wasn't for Chris. And I think we, we know exactly which ones uh, that play a lot of that. All the EDM shift that's happened right now, I think that really started off with Chris. And, and to be such a pioneer and a visionary and how to fight through those battles, kind of. You know what I mean? To, oh, they were battles. Yeah, and that's... <laughs> That's an honor. And I just want to ask one quick question about your career. And that was when you started with BKS and Love Inc., at what point did you really say, I, th- I think we got something here? We, we, you know, you kind of just pictured it and you kind of just figured out, all right, this is it. We, well, I, we hit it. So, how do you react to that? First of all, someone his age who's almost his whole life has been. But I get influenced every, by I you. I get it everywhere I go, Howard. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's, it brings a tear to my eye. But mm-hmm. I, I feel we're like brothers and sisters, I always used to say. I always feel that we're at one. We're, we're the same, you know? I, like, I love you as much as you love me. And, and, and that's what it's all about. And we're trying to do something, and we need to support each other, and we need to work together as a culture. And the same thing appeals to this radio show. People who love the Humble and Fred radio show need to support it, because if not it's going to disappear and and this is the thing you know i mean the sponsorship continues to sponsor the bland and people just continue to support the bland when really we should open our minds to new things new theories and and i guess that's why i'm always constantly evolving and i but i i honestly thank you it touches my heart that you see that and i really do feel the same about well, you guys is that what you meant when you said you tried to infilt- infiltrate commercial radio yeah absolutely from the outside come in and change it from that yeah. standpoint anthony's question though back to the mm-hmm. the time of love inc and, and uh, when did you feel and maybe you don't even think this way maybe that's the, the answer when did you feel like i think we're on to something here well I, I i feel i'm always on to something still to this day musically i i feel like i'm in touch and i and i know what time it is and and then so the reason uh, BKS particularly started, which was an early project, was because I was doing syndicated radio and we needed CanCon and there was no dance music CanCon. So I said, oh, man, I got to create a project to fill the CanCon because, you know, just to fit the style of music that I was playing. And, and fortunately, it turned out that we created some kind of interesting music with BKS. Um, and we... CFNY, what it was, radio, what it was, and radio today. What went wrong other than the obvious? Again, you've mentioned the corporate. Uh, the corporate. Yeah. I, I, I saw it. I saw it in the record company where it first happened, okay? And, and it used to be all music people. So music people would be like buzzed out or they'd show up late or they're, you know, they're just artistic people and they're strange and unusual and they're not keeping the same time frame. So what happened was I saw that management, like, CEOs and presidents changed. They started with with sales first. They said, let's get rid of these flaky music sales guys Mm -hmm. and let's bring in, and that's probably the last thing that's good about CFNY, the old, or whatever they call it these days. I have no (laughs) idea. I don't even listen to it. Is the sales force. That's the only thing. But but the the, uh, I shouldn't say that because I don't listen to it, but the the, uh, 
I saw the advantageous part of this when they, they, they changed sales and they brought in like professional guys and got rid of the music flakes and then sales increased, sales started to increase. And then next thing, it evolved into every aspect of the industry. Next thing, I was like, I was working at a major record company and they said, here's your new guy you're gonna be working with who's gonna help you on licensing international product and stuff. And he's like, I used to work at Mr. Christie. I was part of the Mr. Christie Makes Good Cookies. Right. I know about music. I, I like the hip hop happening music, you know. And next thing you're working with, like, it's a nightmare. Well, and you know, it's, it's, it's funny over. you say that. We we ran into a guy a couple of years ago at a music radio convention who's the president of a huge radio company, and he was throwing around those terms. Hey, mm -hmm. have you guys been on the Facebook and the Twitter? Mm -hmm. And then you realize they're just repeating things they've heard other people say. Yeah, it's regurgitation. No, it's just regurgitation. And that's why the mm -hmm. people need to support. We need to stick together, you know, brothers and well, sisters. You were always that's that. interesting you say that because you were always supportive of us. There was a time, and we've talked about this a little bit, between 1989 and whatever, 91, 92, there wasn't a whole bunch of fans of the Humble and Fred show in that building. There just weren't. No, because they, that was. That that part of the evolution just didn't sit well with a lot of people. And, you know, I had been there, but when Howard came in, I think they people just sort of... Uh -huh. It was, it was like part what? of the two, evolution two they didn't like, the poppy evolution. I think what happened... Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was associated with the... the of the of Now, even those people who are, were visionaries and, you know, artistic, oh, they right. didn't want to evolve. Yeah. And yeah, they yeah, resisted yeah, yeah, change, yeah, like yeah. all people. Yeah. But two things, there was people that I think didn't want to see you get elevated to whatever status they perceived you have. Right, from sportscaster to, yeah. Yeah, and they certainly weren't big on me because I was like a regular radio guy, they thought. I had to become the music director to look after everything because it was getting right out of control. But you, the point I'm trying to make is that of all the people there, the the one guy I so I remember this that you were always kind to us. Oh yeah, and it was weird right. because there were some Tell people everybody. that weren't. There were some people like, you know, I remember. Like, listen, I got so mad at one guy. My footprint's still on the fucking door of the in between those studios because mm -hmm. he was like, it was just so. It was a Ego. really weird. Ego. Yeah, it was a weird time for everyone. But I always remember that in that. You were kind of an oasis of a guy. I was like, hey, yeah, I'm yeah. doing Fred, Fred, yeah, huh? I love sure. these guys. And I was so stoned, too, because I was <laughs> I was working 24 hours a day at that time. I was, uh, I was, I had to save an aspect of the radio station at that point by becoming music director. And that took up way too much of my time because I was working in the studio. I was doing nightclub shows. And then I was doing rave culture after. So I was going all night long. And then it was like, okay, start the music programming with you guys in the morning. So I was flying pretty high when I saw you guys. And, <laughs> you know, well, but you're I a lovable know. guy. All I know is this lovable guy was like one of the people in the halls that didn't look at me mm -hmm. with disgust. No, no, absolutely not. I don't look at many people that way. I, I, I love you guys. But there was... There was people with ego problems, and ego is always under threat of attack. You know, it's a real weakness, and you didn't have any of that. And now, uh, these years later, neuroscience is an interest of yours. I know during the break you were saying we wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, what you perceive as some of the issues that people have. And you were talking about how people's minds are responsible for a lot of the maladies that they physical manifestation mm -hmm. of all this stress. And, 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 you know, and Chris is modest. You know, because I asked him point blank. He has three PhDs. Three. <clears throat> three of them. That he and this has all been achieved since its days at CFNY. Now, the, the, the second two in neuroscience. The first one not, though, you were saying? 
I really don't like talking about that stuff because it comes off as ego. Thing. No, it but doesn't. the first it's- one actually is is quite hilarious because a guy from a university in Canada called me up, a prominent city, and he said, "You know, Chris, we just think you're a genius, and you have to come down here and and just be all part of this thing." And and I went down there, and I didn't understand a word any of these people were saying to me. They were just talking like these thirty-seven word syllables, and I was just like, "I have no idea." So I brought a friend of mine, who was. Uh, uh, an English major, basically, and he was going to explain to me what people were talking to me about. And I really wanted to get out of it. And I went down to the party, and it was in this converted church. The woman who was financing this venture that, where everybody got honorary doctorates. And I was, I mean, I was working with these heavy people from around the world, like well-respected guys in, in, in space science and all this stuff. And I'm like, what am I doing here, right? So I'm trying to get out of it. I'm trying to find the guy to get out of it. And I stumble in this party room. It's, it's a converted church that this multimillionaire heiress had, who's sponsoring this thing is, is having this event and this party. And I'm trying to get out of this thing and the champagne at the door and I get in there and then I stumble in this room and there's like people like Margaret Atwood and a few people I know there and they're like, Oh, Hey chef, what are you, what are you doing here? Right. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, I, I'm one of the lecturers ego came in. Right. And then, and then I was, I, I tried to get out of the thing. And, and I remember this woman calling me from the university saying, okay, we know you're a music producer. We know you work on radio. And we just don't really know what you're doing. And, and as like when Fred called me to come on this show, I was asleep and the television was on. And, and, and there was terrorism at the time in the Middle East going on. And I said, uh, I'm a, I, I really want to get out of this thing. I don't want, I, no, 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 I, I'm not the person. If I don't get a name, I, I, I'm going to lose my job. You've got to help me out. I said, I'm, I'm a sound terrorist. And she goes, oh, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> so then the next time, another guy calls, right? And, 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 and then he's like, Shep, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we need a name for the symposium, right? You're working with this guy and, and, and Iserman, the architect. And, I mean, really heavy people, this, you know. Uh, gay theorist, uh, the the uh, Columbia uh, uh, dean on uh, English literature. I mean, I was in with all these crazy people, and so this guy calls me again. I'm sleeping, and the television's on, and it's an old '40s movie, '50s movies playing. And and then he's like, Chap, and I'm like, I gotta get out of this. You got the wrong guy, man. I'm not the guy to speak to. I'm gonna lose my job. I'm gonna lose my job. We just need to know what you're gonna call your seminar. What you, come on, give it. And 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 there's that song is on from that old movie. There's no business like show business like no. I go, there's no business like no business like no business I know. And the guy goes, brilliant. <laughs> And the reason I started getting is when I, I mentioned, I kind of screwed up the story a bit, but when I brought my English major friend with me to, to explain, the party, yes. to, to, to explain to me what everybody was talking to me about, he said to me, I turned to him and I'm like, so what are they saying to me? And he goes, they're making up words. And at that point, that, that's when I said, okay, we're going to play a game on these guys here. So I went and I did this presentation, got this honorary doctorate from this leaning university. And, and during the presentation, I, I opened up with BB Bobble and sing about the hoop, right? Sing along and make and trying to get string and go steady, take it easy, take it. I like how's five locomotion, book of motion, deeper process, section, baby, baby. Anyway, some guys dictated this in a book. I see this. It's like, <laughs> these guys are serious, right? I had this, I had Las Vegas showgirls on stage. I had these images and then I told them real life stories that happened to me. And man, I've had a crazy life. Strange things have real happened to me. And all of these are true. But the, the, the part of it that was 
because they made up words on me, mm. was that I said, I kept hearing this sound, and it was a really strange sound, really strange sound, and I'd play it. And then the next thing, and I'm over the Piton Mountains, and the, the, the parasailing rope breaks, and now I'm above the mountains, and I'm, I'm, I've drowned almost before that, and I've pulled the thing out, and I'm hanging on, and I'm doing the Lord's Prayer, and I'm thinking I'm going to die, and I hear that sound again. Now, all this is true except for that sound again. And then at the end of it, I, I go, I finally realized what that sound was, and I go, and then I play it in its full context, and I say, it's, it's the sound of the Reverend Jim Jones committing suicide with 932 others in Jonestown, Guyana. And the whole audience stands up and goes, brilliant. <laughs> Chris Shepard, everybody, look at that. I don't know, you know, I just wish. Maybe you had to be there. Yeah, maybe you had to be there. I felt like I was. Uh, we've only got a couple more minutes left on today's program. Uh, did you guys, uh, have you guys done any video with Chris or asked him a question? Is there any way you could hang around and do that? I know you guys have already. Let me just touch on one thing. I know we're not, we, we're not <laughs> done yet. I just want to make, I just got a couple housekeeping things. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did, did you mind, I know you guys have put your equipment away, but this would be, you want to talk about an after show. Yeah. Do you mind hanging around? Guys, uh, no. I, do you? No, I know. What we'd love to do is we're getting like Facebook and Twitter's going crazy. It's people going, love it's lighting up. People yeah. love I having respect you. Respect to everybody. I love all you guys. And, and when you agreed a week ago to come on the show, yeah. um, it's sort of strange how people get excited about this. You know, they go, "Oh, who do you have on? Oh, we have the bare naked ladies, or we have this person. We've had Anne Murray." I say we're having Chris Shepard. They go fucking lose their minds. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because no. you mean so much to a generation, and actually not just one. Well, obviously, just, with uh, he's intention. crying. He's crying. That's nice. It brings a tear to my eye. As I said, we're all in it together. Yeah. I love all those people just the same, and uh, you know, it's let's, a fantastic. Let's thing. wrap uh, things up here in our last five or six minutes, and then what we have to do, Brody's, we'll we'll hold uh, Chris over for the four minute uh, in between show that we do. You know. Authenticity is something that Freddie and I talked a lot about at the beginning of this venture. And it's 2011, uh, October. You know, we, had, we were in a little studio down the hall. We had really nothing except this thought that if you talk to people on a radio or a radio setting in a way that you sort of would talk at a, at a party, at a dinner party or with friends, that they would actually like that. And he and I have seen the growth of our brand in a way we never saw before and yet as recently as last week, we still run into people that are in the real business that don't know this little secret that we've discovered and you've, all, and you've known all along. Yeah. Yeah, well, they, I mean, what are they doing in that side anyway? They're, they're completely programmed. They're com I was never programmed, and that's why it's authenticity. That's why, you know, people dig it. Although people do get confused. Not everybody loves me because they see things. Oh, he's that guy. If you only saw me from that commercial element or you saw something from out of context and you don't know my history, you would be certainly confused. I, I would be confused. I go, oh, screw that guy, right? Mm -hmm. But, the, you know, I think if you know my history, then you see it's authentic and, and, and that, that, that China, trying to change the system from within. Whereas... You know, not to diss a lot of the guys that are on there right now, but they're all pre-programmed. It's like just... Ugh. And, you know, it's tough for us, you and I and Howard, to some degree, because where we came from, that radio station, and, you know, Howard never had the opportunity or the pleasure of working for David Marsden. He set that tone. I well, mean, when, I you start, when you start your career 
with a boss like that who's so creative and yeah. telling you to push the envelope yeah. and telling you to take yeah. chances, that becomes your measuring stick really I, for the rest of your career. When I went in, yeah. when I, I, I had no radio. I was, I, when I was at Ryerson, I, I had a little bit of CKLN experience with, uh, what's his name, Ad, uh, Adam Vaughn's kid. He's just the politician in Toronto, mm-hmm. right? He was the program mm-hmm. director. Colin. So, mm-hmm. Colin. We didn't learn anything. So, so, so I go out, now I'm on a big commercial sort of radio station, even though it's quite underground and really cult. And, and then I'm like, you know, nervous, don't know what to say. So I go into Marsden's office and he's sitting there and he's like, Hey, how's it going, Chris? And I'm like, David, like, what do I do? Like, I'm, I'm ready. Like, what button do I press? You know, what's the EQ? You know, what's the parameters of compression? Like this stuff. And he says to me, uh, uh, don't take any of the drugs they give you. <laughs> don't pick up any of the girls on the phone. They're not who you think they are. And don't eat the stuff they send you in the mail. <laughs> and I leave like, oh, what the? You know? That's all he wants. And you know what? That's the best advice anyone can give you it's in radio. It's totally the truth. Like, looking back at it, That's it was right. like the best advice ever. <laughs> But you know it's funny. We, uh, uh-huh. uh, you know, uh, we we had this conversation earlier in our show about some innocuous thing we said on a show yesterday evening. Just a little offhand comment, a discussion that Fred and I had, and and it just took off. It's it was we had prepared so much that we thought people would enjoy, or some of it we thought they would enjoy. But the most enjoyable part of the show for both the audience and us was this little piece of authenticity, and it just goes to show you that those instincts that you got from. You know, we got working mm-hmm. together and you got from Marsden. You know, those are the ones, those are the things people connect with. Yeah, it, isn't, it isn't very complicated. Yeah, and if you guys wouldn't screw up your sponsors so much when you mention them, maybe a few more <laughs> would join on, on board. Yeah, that's a bit of a difficulty. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, if, it is important. If there, if there are people out there and they have small businesses, it's an important way to get through to them, you know, and be authentic and, and be supportive of them and let's all work together and support each other in culture. Isn't that what life's all about? We all come from Adam and Eve. We're all brothers and sisters. We're all connected. People forget that. The other day I was here in the city and I was just with some friends and I'm joking like, hi, how you doing? Just saying hi to groups of various people walking up Young Street. You know, and you get the occasional, hey, how's it going? People are just so into them, you know, Mm -hmm. into their head and into, you know, living in the future and living in the past. They think it's weird that you would say hi to them. And yet, you know, it's funny. I got back from Jamaica a couple months ago and every single person that walks by you on the street says, Hey, mm-hmm. what's yeah, up? And you're like, yeah. great. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, respect. Respect to Jamaica. It's a great culture. Beautiful place to go. Well, um, we're going to uh, start to wind down here a little bit. Where if <clears throat> I don't even think it's relevant to say, you know, nowadays if somebody was looking to see you in person or what what you do, it'd more likely to be in a lecture hall than... Uh, uh, no, I still work in music behind the scenes. I don't want to mention any of the groups I do, like Secret Squirrels. Um, <laughs> the uh, I work behind the scenes a lot. I've worked with you too. I've worked with Coldplay. I work with a lot of major serious groups behind the scene. Oh. I do a lot of remixes. Mm. I still currently remix a lot of the older tracks and bring them up to a new funky flavor. Absolutely. Just maybe that's so what forefront. we could talk about in the after bit. What would you do for Coldplay and you two? Chris Shepard, mm-hmm. uh, you've done so much for us today. We appreciate it. Chris Shepard, everyone. Thank I you. love. Thanks, everybody. And uh, how about this? We'll um, try and mix this into the <laughs> Humble and Fred theme. The elusive Chris Shepard. 
If you know where Shep is, let me know. I'm Toronto Mike. I produce Humble and Fred. If you want to hear more of me, I host a podcast called Toronto Miked. If you go to torontomike.com and click Notable Guests at the very top, you can cherry pick an episode and just check it out, see what you think. There are plenty of Humble and Fred episodes to choose from. There's almost a thousand in total, so knock yourself out. Thanks for listening. Peace and love. This episode of Humble and Fred was brought to you by Gig Sky, the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, Bodog, Health Gauge, Canna Cabana, Doer, and our newest sponsor, GoDaddy. For Humble and Fred, I'm Dan Duran. And don't forget, live shows return on Valentine's Day. How romantic.